This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. So I think the approach that I've taken to this work is really not to say that, you know, championing one against the other, but to present both sides of the story for the audience to then just be able to see that, take a step back and perhaps re-evaluate what they know of this part of our history in Malaysia. Hi, I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahmat. You're listening to Night School, the show that explores concepts, theories and society. And this week, we're going to talk about the challenges of collaborative art. Uh, and joining us to do that are three artists from an exhibition that's currently hosted by Project Dialogue called Maratha Swara. Uh, let me introduce them briefly. On my right is Okuilala. She is a video artist and she was paired with uh, Indonesian migrant workers based in Penang. We also have Pudin, who is a painter and you were paired with an Orang Asal community in Mantin. And of course, uh, Yana Rizal, you are not really a quote-unquote an artist, you're a cultural worker, but for this project, you were paired with former communists based in Ipoh. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, good to be here back again. <laughs> so maybe we can just tell the audience the gist of the project. What is it about and what does it try to do? Yana, do you want to do that first, please? Well, so Maratha Swara, the entire idea behind Maratha Swara is really to get artists to engage with different marginalised communities around Malaysia. So in this edition, because this is really the second kind of edition that we've had, the first one was actually Kabaran Angin, which we did in 2016. So this time around, the difference is that whereas previously we were actually focusing on the state of Kelantan, this time around we actually got the artists to engage much more in depth with six different communities uh, around Malaysia. Yeah, so we've got a variety of artists, not just one kind of art. Yeah. So the idea is really to kind of how do we then present these voices to sort of like the mainstream kind of community, but in a way that approaches it from art, right. which I think is a little bit more interesting and also softer, I guess, rather than just, you know, head-on discourse. Right. So just to add to what you just said, Yana, the two other artists involved in this project are Eleanor Goro from Sabah and Victoria Cheng, who is tasked to work with uh, Silat Guru in Kedah, and they came up with a performance together. Now, what does collaborative art mean? Because we hear this a lot, but when we tend to think of artists, it's usually the lone, solitary, contemplative artist working typically alone. But what does the collaborative dimension here mean? Put in. I think all the work involved in this Maratha Suara, I think my work is the least collaborative one. And I think from the beginning, we didn't really like discuss what kind of like format we want to do, but we discussed a lot of, of this, like the equal, like, working um, condition with the with our partner. So they, we discuss, discuss a lot with the ideas of collaboration. So I don't know, it really depends on the artist itself. And then for this one, I didn't really think of like doing it like collaboratively, maybe because from the beginning, I didn't really like set it to be like collaborative. Mm-hmm. And I see this like unequal kind of understanding of like the you know artistic format. So yeah, and then I decided to do mostly, you know, that 
typical like artist in the studio most of the work mm-hmm. lah mm-hmm. uh, but you did studio. spend time in the village right you followed the community and you got to know more about the conflict that was going on there was a lot of engagement at least right? yeah uh, i was in the village for like a week five six days and yeah there's so many of like things that i learned from the village that are not really translated in the work but i really think of like the ideas like collaborative like in my head like you know like seriously and then I was thinking of the ideas like collaborative to be maybe like after this, you know, because we were talking about like move the work, exhibit the work in in the kampung, Lydia's kampung itself. So there's, there's really a challenge there like to to exhibit there and then to bring the work there and then how they're going to receive the work. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of it is a work in progress, right? Because there's not much time to really exhaust the topic and everybody's working with different constraints. So... The conversation continues. In fact, the exhibition features a lot of panels and, and events around the themes and the location partners involved. Tell us a little bit about the process that you experience okay, working with the Indonesian migrant workers. Mm, I think collaborative is a tricky word because when you translate into a like, layman term, the most I can say, kita buat satu kaya bersama. So I think for my process, or also my previous work, because the nature of me, I cannot work alone. <laughs> and then I usually, I need to work with other partners. Mm-hmm. So for me this time, like with Surantau, I started off like the first meeting, during our first location meeting, we actually discussed about, okay, we will have an exhibition in the end. And I was introduced to Surantau as uh, what they have been doing. So like they are quite activist-based, like to advocate for migrants workers' rights. So I get to know what they do, but how do I use my art to complement what they are doing to put it into exhibition together. So we discussed and I did say, okay, my art form is video, which I asked Nasrika, the leader of Sarantau, that what do you think, how would the artwork like benefits Sarantau mm-hmm. in a way? Because like I will be in my, my working process, I usually, I will communicate a lot with them nonstop almost. Like I will text them, ask them questions and it's ongoing. It's not only one visit. Right. And so it might be, a bit tiring for some. Right, some. right. So Nasrika said, oh, if it's a video, we could disseminate it online. So at the first meeting we have in mind, like we would make some videos to disseminate to public as much as possible. And I think my process was quite smooth because Sarantau, they know what they want. So content-wise, they told me, okay, we want to focus on three parts, which is domestic houseworker and then pekerja kilang, mm-hmm. factory workers and uh, Pekerja industry ringan, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, the welder worker. Mm-hmm. But in the end, due to logistic arrangement, we only focus on two, which is uh, the welder and Daisy, the domestic house worker. Interesting. So I think I was quite lucky in the sense that Sarantau, the members are very active on WhatsApp. Yeah. So our WhatsApp conversation was from October until now and I'm able to assess to them like uh, right. So they're they're very active and interested partners. Yeah, yeah. and they're yeah. also they're not uh, as as slightly different with like Yana and Putin's location partner where in Manting and in Para where they need to visit them, spend some time to visit them, go to like two hours, visit them. I could like meet them easily in mm-hmm, KL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yana, you're a cultural worker, I guess, an activist. You came to this without any artistic background. Can you compare the different experiences, right, between a straightforward discursive process where you ask questions and you have a conversation and the process of making art. So what are the challenges and advantages? I mean, what came to mind most of the time? 
I think initially when I was approached to do this this work, that was the thing that was kind of playing at the back of my mind because I am really not an artist. I have no background in fine art or anything of that sort. So as you said, you know, I'm, I'm very much a cultural worker. I've done, you know, research with different communities before. So that is pretty much my key strength. And I do, you know basically do poetry sometimes, I write that. So initially I thought, okay, maybe I'd come on as a poet, but at the same time I felt that, you know, yes, you can write poetry, but then how do you actually make that engaging with people as well? So initially I thought maybe the idea was that, you know, I, I could read some poetry, I could write some, and then based on basically my interactions with this community. But at the end of the day, I realized that, you know, a lot of this is really kind of an evolving process. The more I spoke to them, I think at the end of the day, this project is really about trying to collaborate, not necessarily in the making of the artwork, which is why you'll find different levels of collaboration, but really try to collaborate with them in terms of conceptualizing what goes out there and how this might help them. So from my conversations with this community, you know, what they kept saying was that you need to present this other side of history, mm -hmm. our side of history, mm -hmm. and you need to be able to kind of balance it out and, you know, correct history right, um, right. in their words. So in my mind, I think, you know, at the end of the day, poetry can only do so much. Right. What engages people more is something that they can really interact with, which is why we came up with the idea of the classroom setting. Because mm -hmm. for a lot of people, at least in Malaysia, the only time that you ever really think about communism or come across the term communism is really in the classroom setting. So it's worthwhile to then explore back, you know, and go back to that particular moment in time and really kind of challenge, you know, this is what you've been told about communism and their fight. And how do you juxtapose that against what they are saying? So in a way, I was very keenly conscious about also what I can or can't do. Mm -hmm. I can't produce paintings like Pudin. I'm not a video artist like Okui. But installations to me is something that might be a bit more malleable to that. Right. So I can bring some things in there. In fact, I actually use a lot of my research knowledge into that as well in right, terms right. of interviews and stuff, which I incorporated into the yeah. the installation. So Just to describe what you're saying here... Uh, <laughs> For those who haven't seen it, uh, Yana presents basically a replica classroom. And it's actually interactive. I'm not going to give it away. But when you go in there, you're going to be invited to, to uh, well, <laughs> without giving too much away, <laughs> to engage with the material. And uh, you'll find some very interesting discoveries in that process. Tell us a little bit more about how to be critical, how to think about the relationship between art and activism, Pudin, because... You're also well known as an activist as well, as much as you are as a painter, right? So there's a cynical take that says, well, why, you know, politics too serious and too important for it to be, you know, put in galleries or to be put in contemplative artistic modes, right? But then there's another side that says, well, maybe contemplation is what we need. We need a different way of thinking about politics. So how do you negotiate those positions? Okay. First of all, I'm not really a painter, but... <laughs> what? There's always... <laughs> How are you not really a painter? <laughs> but there's um, there's always involved these like painterly things like in my work. But I don't really lawyer to like you know just like okay, one sure, medium. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. And okay, talking about mediums, art and activism, yeah. I think like these two like things that influence me in different way or like in different time of my life. Like I was influenced by activism more in the like cultural movement, like in the subculture, you know, in the punk subculture things like that. And then and I went to the art school, and then this is totally like different. Thing, you know but in the beginning like back in the early 2000 there's interesting thing that happening in, in Indonesia I think like their art scene is more developed or less there's a better discourse or or the art school like function 
better compared to here maybe so there's a lot of this thing of bridging between like art and activism maybe at the time they still like call it like you know they still like use the label activism and art they put it in the flyers but i think now like we don't cannot go beyond that label you know and then people say like you know all art is kind is some kind of like activism because we like talking about you know the culture at, at the moments and like try to seeing like our role as doing some work that really contribute to the you know to the society but mm-hmm. the society mm-hmm. now actually it's like there's no more like i think like this like the polar opposite mm-hmm. of like this is art or activism mm-hmm. but still i think in malaysia scene some scene that still like stuck in the discourse of like seni untuk masyarakat dan right. seni untuk seni which is very very old like you know like this cause in, yeah. in Europe is like in 1920s in in Malaysia, <laughs> uh, in Malaysia is is it's like stuck in the 1960s you know 70s you know. yeah <laughs> yeah and you know and then technology like play a big role you know like after television and things now i really like you you can't really fix a certain point to right right point that this is like art or this is activism yeah mm. <laughs> I think just to add on, uh, because Pudin gave a little bit, slightly different background of his practice and uh, his background just now. I'm also a culture worker. I don't work full-time artist. So I think one thing interesting about the artists in this exhibition is we have like one or two roles, like not not only like artist, artist or like culture worker, culture worker. We have overlapping ourselves because maybe it's the nature of how to survive in Malaysia, art and culture scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> so, yeah. So I think like in Penang, I'm, I work with heritage and culture and community also. It helps a lot, a bit of sensitivity to work with community. So in this time for Marata Suara, I think one of the challenges, because it's a group show about five topics, five marginalized community and I really like the title which is Marata Sora how are you going to balance the voices among five different voices and yeah not being too loud or not being too soft and five very important topics as well so I was also having this discussion with Saran Tao mm-hmm. so it was interesting because as opposed to uh, my previous exhibition like maybe in the exhibition it's like there's only one about more about community engaged so I could like just just I, maybe I won't it won't be to my consideration but this time I would think how will the public think in the bigger picture of the exhibition and it was interesting because a lot of our dialogue like between me and Susie curator and uh, uh, with project dialogue members is also we will go back to the question oh we are thinking from the group perspective in that picture yeah uh, yeah I think you know for me because even before I delved into cultural work I was into activism from the beginning so I think those experiences really inform the way that we approach the artwork. I think for a lot of us, because of our background, uh, you know, somewhat involved in activism as well, at the back of your minds, you're always thinking about the best way in which to benefit the communities that we work with. I think that is one of the questions. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of me as well, initially I thought of doing poetry based on my interviews with them, but what I realized was, you know, why my putting my own voice into this work you know they have their own voices they have their own stories that are more authentic and more powerful so that is why you know i decided at the end of the day to really just kind of step back and just give that space for them is my role here is really to kind of present their narratives which is why we came up with that idea um in the first place i think uh, with oku it's probably the same thing as well just trying to engage them to tell their own stories as mm-hmm. well but hers using of course a different medium yeah yeah i mean i think going back to the idea of collaboration it was never kind of a 
a compulsory thing for us in the way that we set about implementing the project. Right. But it's just something that kind of evolved out of our interactions. Then, you know, you'll find that there were different levels of collaboration that we could do mm-hmm. possibly yeah. with each work. And yeah. I recall during our first artist presentation, when the first time we get to know each other, what will we be doing with the location partner? It was also interesting because when we hear the story behind the scene on the arrangement, the difficulties of even meeting them, so it makes me think because usually in this type of social engage or collaborative art, it means that as much as engagement as possible might be better because you get to know them. But sometimes it might not be the case right, right. because you might like because of culture difference or maybe logistic or something. Sometimes if you meet them too often, you might cause trouble to them. Right. So in that case, it makes me think, yeah, so maybe sometimes collaborative art mm, is Maybe we think too highly about it. I mean, like, right, it's okay right. not to be collaborative. Yeah. True, true. Yeah. You have to improvise a lot, right? I think from what I gather, the artists basically provide the canvas or the platform and the content comes from the partners. It seems like that's sort of the general frame of work. But uh, let's pause right now. We'll take a break for some ads and we'll be right back to talk more about the challenges of quote-unquote collaborative arts, largely through the lessons learned from Marataswara, an exhibition that is Project Dialogue is hosting. That runs until the 4th. We are joined this week by the artists from the project, Okulala, Pudian, and Yana Rizal. And this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School. I'm Ahmad Fahramat. Joined this week by Yana Rizal, Pudian, and Okulala. Three of the five artists from Marataswara, an exhibition that's currently held at Project Dialogue until the 4th. So you have time to catch it. It's really about collaborating pairing artists and different location partners to explore the notions of marginality and how is it that different voices can come together and find a leveling point or a meeting point. On the first part of the show, we gave an overview of the project and what were the key principles were. But I want to get more into the experiences that you had. I mean, maybe you can tell us some of the things that you learned, some of the more profound things that you encountered as you went into this, you know, project, especially engaging with these new partners. So what lesson stood out the most for you, Okui? I think probably on how to make it more engaging to the public. So if it's like me and Sarantau, there's two points together, two people together collaborating. Um, The dialogue between us might happen well, but when it's presented to the third point of view, the dialogue might change because Mm -hmm. they might not get what's going on between us. So in Perjalanan Bersama Daisy, the video work I did, I recorded three interviews, one with Nasrika, the leader of Sarantau, one with me, uh, Daisy with me, and another one is Daisy with Sophie, another slightly younger factory worker. Because I realised halfway through the project, I realised that, oh, um, my location partner actually knows Of course, they're activists. I mean, like, they know what they're advocating for and they know the content better than me. And I might not be the best person to interview them. Mm -hmm. And what will happen with the public, like someone that doesn't have any background of migrant Even the basics, right? Most people don't. I don't, yeah. Yeah, so how to translate or how to, not to say simplify this thing, how to translate this to a more engaging and friendly way to them. Mm -hmm. So it was a challenge. 
So for Pajalam and Sama Daisy, where uh, Daisy, she is actually a domestic house worker. And, and when I realised she also drive her anak majikan around, I was like, oh, maybe we could do our interview in the car. It's like a bit conversation with the Grab or Uber driver. So I recorded three interviews. And from the three interviews, I realised the different chemistry between people. So like my question to Daisy was like more, we were discussing more about the process that we were working. But with Nasrika, they were... They were discussing more about Sarantau and the more serious issues mm-hmm. faced by the Indonesian migrant workers in Malaysia. And with Sophie, it's like daily life things like, oh, what makes you come here? And right, what's your right. hopes and dreams? So I was very inspired by the three different dialogues. And then in the only past today, during Hari Pesama Sarantau, so I did another interactive, one-to-one interactive section where mm-hmm. public are allowed to register for 10 minutes right with Daisy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are four participants that register. That was my learning point, that right. different dialogue happens with yeah. different people. Because sometimes it's always, especially in civil society, the focus is always about policies and politics mm-hmm. and issues. Mm-hmm. But I think you try to bring out the everyday life aspect, the more human aspects that maybe we don't think necessarily of political but are still mm-hmm. relevant. How about you, Pudin? Yeah, there's a lot actually because, you know, being Malaysia, that you are you really like separate from, you know, this like idea of identity of orang asli, Orang Melayu, Orang China, India. And you read all about this and you know all this like, history behind it. But when you be there and then face all the, see the real people and then try to get into all the details of their life. Even though in my head, this, I still like thinking about the, you know, the actual change is really about changing the policy and all these like things. But I also like try to get into this ordinary things that are around the life of Lydia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think the things that I learned that you always have these romantic ideas about, you know, living, left the civilization, whatever, right. like going back to that. Even now, this movement is of, you know, of from a culture and then going back to like very sustainable living and, you know, less damaging to the environment. And then honestly, it's like the perfect kind of like, you know, uh, fantasy of yeah, that. Like yeah, culture of like, of the past before modernity where it's very aggressive, you know, system that damage your environment and everything. But when you're there, like, there's still like poverty. Right, right. Yeah. There's still like not enough food to eat, even though it's really cool that you like just pick up everything that from around you. Right, right. So there's a lot of this thing of this clash of like big narrative of the world mm-hmm. in between, you know, the right, past right. and just the issues of how to shape it into like all this like problem with colonization, like problem with nation state and things like right, that. And right, then right. you kind of like there like in between. And then it's like a big role and then how you want to translate this and then how you want to be a bridge in between these two things so yeah there's a lot of like these things that yeah, it's very complicated yeah. right yeah. because like you say there's a tendency to romanticize that sort of pastoral life right like you're closer to vegetation therefore like you can just pick fruits for breakfast pick fruits for dinner you know but you know life is much more difficult than that and mm-hmm. you demystify that uh, romanticism like you said yeah. um i think for me First things first is that, you know, the notion of engaging with people who have, you know, who were communist fighters, been in the jungle for almost 20 years, you would have perhaps certain expectations of what they might be like in terms of mannerisms, the way that they carry themselves, the way that they speak and treat people, right? I was just simply blown away, you know, when when I met them, my God, you look at them, you would never be able to distinguish between them and your regular uncles and aunties outside, with the exception that... (laughs) They are actually very courteous people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, 
the way that they welcome you into their community and their life is just so heartening. I mean, you know, the way that they approach you, the way that they are willing to share their stories, you know, it's nothing like how you would imagine, oh, you know, these are communist fighters, <laughs> they are going to go out and hunt you and kill you and things like yeah, that. No, yeah. it's nothing like that at all. So I think what I really took out from that was really how do I present this very human humanized aspect of why they even got into that right. that mm-hmm. fight in the first place which is why i think it's the central central thing in in my installation and what i what i discovered later was that it's interesting how this history is you know it's such a large part of malaysian history mm-hmm. and yet it has such little coverage in our syllabus so a big part of my work was also actually researching this aspect as well how it's depicted in our historical textbooks therefore i, I went a lot to the national archives to mm-hmm. look at um, not only newspaper material but also textbooks that we've produced and there are actually just you know very little paragraphs even so it's very biased of course nothing actually engaging in the discourse of what communism is as an ideal but more so what happened here and therefore painting communists in a certain way but what you find when you engage with this community is that you know history might be a little more complex than that right, number right. one and secondly uh, what we are presented with might not necessarily be the truth so i think the approach that i've taken to this work is really not to say that you know championing one against the other but to present both sides of the story for the audience to then just be able to see that take a step back and perhaps reevaluate what they know of this part of our history in malaysia yeah and yeah. you know the the kind of interconnectivity as well because when i was talking to pudin after that we were talking about emergency period that also really actually affected the orang asli communities as well how they were kind of relocated as part of the um, you know the new villages mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing so it has a wider you know implication right. that exists till today so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I just recall that during Hari Bersama Serantau, the dialogue with embassy, the ambassador say something very motivating to us as artists, which is he said, as opposed to, um, he said in a very nice Bahasa Indonesia way, lah, very poetic. He said that he usually they sit in the office and receive complaints and try to solve the issues, but he said, oh, it changed a bit when stepping into this exhibition space. It's like. Everything become merdu, mm. although it's like about topic and issue. It gives you a very refreshing, and but it still talk about this topic and issue that need to be addressed. Which the same thing goes with the interview between Suzy with Nasrika as well. She also say that oh yeah, because Suzy asked what do you think about this project, and she say yes, we always like activists. We always go for the hard way. Like we want this to be like this, this, and then but. Art give a softer, softer way. Right, so, right. So yeah, it's very motivating when I heard that one. Yeah, yeah. Like in this research, I found that the emergency period is very. It's kind of like a catalyst to lots of things, like very important, you know, moment in history. Like for example, like the term orang asli. Actually, it's a the colonial government, the, the state decision to call it orang asli as a counter term to the term that being used by the communists call them orang asal, mm. and at that time. You know that the state state call them like sakai is very you know like pejorative terms. So they need to find a term that you know another term to counter a term that being used by the communists. So that's how they come up with the term orang asli, mm-hmm. and then that's kind of like umbrella term that cover the whole like orang asli in in Malaysia. 
yeah, right, right. which is yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's significant, right, in deciding who were the original inhabitants here, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, catalysts because of the communist movement, there were a lot of catalysts into shaping how, what we are today. But a lot of that, again, people don't know here. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we talk about the Orang Asli as well, you know, the, the aunties that I've spoken to, one of them is a nurse, Auntie Jane. So she, for a long time, was also very close to the Orang Asli community, the Tamiyas in that region. You know, so much so that she could actually speak the language back then, you wow. know, because she was also helping the Orang Asli communities with their medical needs. She's trained as a nurse. So it's, it's rather interesting how life works when you are in that kind of position, that you could still get professional training as a nurse, as doctors. They even sent doctors from China back here and mm-hmm, so forth. Mm-hmm. So the entire coordination is really quite mind-blowing. The fact that you could survive 20 years, yeah. you know, just hunting elephants, for some, for wow. example. Yeah, okay. they ate elephant meat. They actually preserved it in tins, uh, wow, in wow. oil, buried it underground. And that would last for, you know, how many years? Wow, yeah, fascinating. So, fascinating <laughs> till today. Things. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting too that, you know, we, you know, we like to think that we are reflective and critical when we look at the world. But our perspectives are still shaped by some very hardened, assumptions, you know, that are, you know, linked to maybe how the media wants us to see the world, how the system and the state more broadly wants us to see the world. It seems to me, at least from what I encounter in your works, is that I get to see how Malaysia is seen from the other side, you know. The options of looking at things or looking at Malaysia from those who are left out or those who we don't consider. I don't know. I'm really rethinking about the term margins now. I think we've stretched it enough to know that it's insufficient. So um, the works that you've presented have been really, really helpful in giving us alternative ways of seeing, you know. Um, We have to wrap up soon. Any concluding thoughts for our listeners as they uh, think about coming to the show? Do come to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think we still have about a week left. So yeah. this Saturday, we are hosting uh, the aunties that yes. I have uh, collaborated with. So do come for that. That's going to be on Saturday at Project Dialogue's office in Aradamansara, 11 o'clock. So we are just going to have really a conversation with uh, these aunties who are part of the communist movement in the 70s. Do come with an open heart, I think is the key thing. You know, when you are in our exhibition, there's a lot of stuff, I guess, for people to take back home with them. Right, right. Uh, in terms of what they reflect on. But yeah, I think it's, it's um, well, I personally think it's interesting, you know, this, yeah. this project. So you get to engage yeah. with them, right? It's a forum, yeah, so you can ask sure, them questions. Sure. You I can, think, you know, it's going yeah. to be like a santai thing, you know, yep, very yep. relaxed back and forth with these aunties and, you know, have no fear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to be there, so. So yeah, on the 4th uh, at 3pm, I'm going to be there with Lydia and then we're just going to have a, you know, just a relaxed conversation and I'm going to like, have a dialogue with Lydia and the rest of the audience. All the things I found when I was with Lydia in the kampong. So it's like a visual aid like conversation. I'm gonna like print out a map, print out images, and then I'm gonna like you know just like show the image to the audience and then talk to Lydia about that cool, and then cool. recall all the memory from these nice, images. Nice, um, that's very interesting. Also on the fourth at eleven, there's gonna be a rap workshop. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so if you're into wanting to know how to rap, you can come at 11 basic yeah. rap tutorials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somehow we've included freestyle rap <laughs> into the program. I mean, we were launched. Yeah, that was really that interesting. Was interesting. interesting. Yeah, I liked it. it actually. And yeah. Edri is brilliant <laughs> with freestyle rapping. Yeah. He's so funny as well. 
<laughs> yeah, so, he can think on the feet and he can improvise in the situation. So he's going to give some of his trade secrets uh, on Sunday and maybe that's what you can work with. So that's the weekend. So do drop by. Uh, you can find more information on the Project Dialogue Facebook page or our website as to the location and the dates as well. So thanks again to Okwi, to Yana, to Pudian for the hard work you've put into this project and also the ideas that you've generated along the way. Um, you can email the show bfmnightschool@gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook as well or download our app at the Apple App Store and Google Play. Once again, I'm Ahmad Fawad Rahman and this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.